This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good afternoon. I'm Margaret Clawone. I'm the Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs, and I am delighted to welcome you to Resilient Love in a Time of Hate. This is a year-long series of programs. Tonight is our second program in the series. And before I go any further, I want to thank Sonny Patterson, the spoken word performer. How many of you? If you were there last night, you know that she did more than we could have ever hoped for in launching this series. So, Sunny, it was amazing. And we are so pleased to have tonight's program as the second in the series. And I think if you weren't there last night, you'll start to get a sense of so, what is so powerful about what we're building and about what we're doing with this series. This summer, I took a wish to two very special people on this campus, Professor George Lipsitz, Professor of Black Studies, and Zavini Khan Marcus, the director of our Multicultural Center. And the wish was to create a different narrative for this campus. If there's one thing that I've learned in the year that I've been here at UC Santa Barbara, it's that this campus knows how to go to the heart of something. This campus has been through hard times. This campus has been through tragedy. This campus has demonstrated its love for the community, the I Heart UCSB pledge, the resilience that you've shown. I knew that this was a community where we could expect to go to something difficult. There was nothing about this that was going to be getting around racism, inequity, and violence. It was going to be going to the heart of it and developing a different narrative. It was going to be about expecting something else, one from another within this community, and it was going to be about doing something different than what we were seeing all around us, including on this campus. We really struggled last spring with difficult and contentious and divisive issues and difficult conversations where we were not approaching each other with the kind of respect or understanding or listening that we needed. So this series is about how do we do that differently. We do expect more from each other here, and this series is about how do we get started with that? How do we find that different narrative? And what you're going to hear tonight and what you're going to be part of here is going to begin a different conversation on this campus, and it already started last night with with Sunny's performance. So this really came together. I want to credit um, Professor George Lipsitz and Zavini Khan Marcus for carrying this forward and doing all the great work that they did to make this a reality. George will tell you more about who you're going to have an opportunity to hear from, but one of the wonderful coincidences of this evening is that David Kim was a friend of mine from Rhode Island and also a collaborator with George's, and so we were thrilled to have a reason to bring David here, and you'll find out why we were so happy about that 
And George introduced us all to Sunny Patterson and the power of her um, spoken word performance. So that's really what launched this. And we're so happy that you can be part of it. There's going to be about 45 minutes or so of conversation up here between the three of them. Then there'll be a brief break and an opportunity for you to bring forward your questions and to be part of this conversation. I want to thank also Sepeda Mosini and Roman of the Multicultural Center and Carol Din and Alejandra and many others who helped to make tonight a reality. And um, we're so happy to begin um, this conversation with you all. So thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Vice Chancellor Cluen for her visionary leadership, for uh, her love for the students and for this community that brings us together here today. It's such a great honor and privilege for me to be up here with David Kim and Sonny Patterson people who have important things to say to us. We meet, as we always do on this campus, on Chumash land, on land that was taken through... That's right. Land that was taken through the violence of conquest and colonialism, a violence that has not only never gone away, but we see it multiplying in Santa Barbara, in California, in the U.S., and around the world. We live on a planet suffused with hate, hurt, and fear, a planet convulsed by violence everywhere, by cruelty and contempt. And the issue for us is how do we play that hand that we've been dealt? How do we live in that world? How do we fight the things that are wrong without becoming trapped in them? And Sonny and David are here, I think, in a way that's different from most presentations. When you come into an auditorium like this on a campus, people tell you what they think, and sometimes they tell you what they think you should think, and sometimes they tell you what they feel and they tell you what you should feel. But we're not here for that today. We're here not so much about what anybody thinks or what anybody feels, but about the important work that we have to do together. It would be a shame if we left this room without a sense of project, without a sense of accompaniment, without a sense that there are these things going on in the world are not things that we're spectators of. We're participants in them. Whether they get better or worse is down to us. Things will not get better unless we make them better. No one will do for us what we fail to do for ourselves. But as I say that, I know even for me and for David and Sonny and for everybody in this room, we're not yet the people we need to be to carry on that struggle or to live that victory. We need to do some work on ourselves. And this is what I hope uh, the presentation today will bring. We're trying to respond to Lauren Hill's question, how are you going to win if you ain't right within? Mm -hmm. And we think we have something to learn from Sonny and David about that. And so I have a question for each of them. I want to start with, with Sonny because when I think about these issues, I always start with Sonny. Uh, I, I have her, uh, a video of her performance. Uh, I, have, uh, I have it on my computer. I carry it everywhere I go. She's probably tired of traveling in my suitcase all around the world <laughs> because when I have to say things to people, I just show them her talking. And I say, I say my, my whole... Uh, stance to the world 
uh, comes down to uh, five words. I agree with Sonny Patterson. You know? <laughs> so what I want to ask her, she has this amazing line in one of her works where she says, we are the field hands of freedom. Now, we live in a surrounded by field hands, by expresseros, by people known for the labor they do people whose hard work puts food on other people's table, people who sew dresses they can't afford to buy and prepare food they can't afford to eat. And this idea of thinking of ourselves as field hands, Mm. as people who need to work side by side, who have important work to do, is a provocation that I think might help get us started. So I wonder if Sonny could talk about that metaphor, uh, that vision, and tell us what it means to her. Hey. Hey. Um, But field hands, field hand. Anytime I think of a a field hand, of course we know people that's working in the field, but what does that even mean? That's to to till, to um, shift soil, to um, plant, to grow, to pick up, to, you know, all of these, uh, all of these things. So field hands of freedom. to know that we are cultivating this freedom. Um, and even in that cultivation, it's, uh, it goes back to we were speaking, we've been speaking a lot really this whole, I'm saying this whole week, I feel like I've been here like <laughs> days. <laughs> but, um, you know, this aspect of what it means to imagine even um, and, and, and having the audacity uh, to imagine, the audacity to, to hope, the courage even to, to hope, the courage to even utter the words uh, freedom and justice and, you know, everything that comes along with it. But Phil Tans, because the line even before that is um, uh, voices of justice, uh, field hands of freedom. Um, so, you know, it is about how we work together, side by side, uh, and with, with all of our different stories, you know, all of our different stuff, uh, but we know that what we are coming to do is dig. And we have to do that within ourselves, dig deep, uh, and, and call others to dig deep, um, which is an important thing. Uh, we were speaking about this earlier today, and uh, what does the, the, the friend or the comrade uh, do? And they hold us to the vision. Uh, it's people who, because sometimes we lose sight of it, but there are people who are around us who do not allow us to lose sight of it. Prayerfully, there are people that are around you who, do not, who don't allow you to lose sight of it. Like, hold on, don't you remember the vision? Don't you remember what you wanted? Don't you remember this thing that you speak so you spoke so passionately about? And this is what it means to be a field hand of freedom, to know that what it is that we're doing is cultivating something that is, 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 is so right and pure, not just so that we can look at it, but so that we can eat it. So mm-hmm. that we can be it and have it and grow more into it, and that it brings us life and nourishment and nutrients and and and, and everything else that can come from the earth, that can come from a, a rightly tilled earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, field hands, a uh, field hands. Even when I, 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 you know, we go back and think about our ancestors who uh, did have to uh, work, who had to work, like they say, from from can't see to can't do, uh, in, in 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 tilling. And, and, and moving and, and, and you know, uh, preparing a way for us to even be here and sit in this space. Mm-hmm. That's right. 
and and speak about these kinds of these kinds of issues, you know, so that we are looking uh, within and looking at ourselves, and sometimes looking at ourselves through the eyes of the other. Yeah. You're asking us with field hands to think of ourselves as workers. You don't talk about heroes. You don't talk about people who are famous. You don't talk about people who are rich. You're not talking about people who are working necessarily even to have more for themselves. And so there's a sense that there's, there's a dignity in labor. There's a reward system other than the material reward system of this world behind that. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. But we, we, yeah, it's so big, you know, it's so, you know, because it is, the, the, the beauty is the process. We think that the process is the, the, the worst part. Right? We know when we're going through something, it's like, oh, my God, I'm going through it. And we think that going to the end. But we don't get to the end without going through to the end. Like, it's one thing to, and, and we say that even in our speech, when we're going through something. Mm-hmm. But we don't think of it as, I'm going through. Mm. We think of it just as, oh, my God, I'm just going through. I'm going through so much. When it's like, okay, but we're going through to get where. So this is why I'm saying why we have to extend the sight. Not just extend the vision. But ex- ex- extend the sight, right? And expand, our vision can be expanded by extending the sight, by going beyond the thing that we're going through. And so we've been speaking about this thing of celebrating. Because this is what it is when we, you know, I, I, you know if, if anybody has grown, how many people have grown food? How, how many people know to, to garden? Have we grown anything? I, I, I know this is a, this. I, I've eaten. You've eaten food? I've okay. eaten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've eaten. But we know when we're, when we're growing something, even, listen, we can take it as far as even um, uh, if, if we want to move in symbol. Okay, we can do that too. Right? We want to just move in symbol and say, what is it that you've thought about and that you've seen through to the end where you can now touch it, right? You can taste it and feel it and all of these kinds of things that come about, right? But the thing about growing something is that you're putting this, this, this tiny seed, this tiny seed that encompasses everything is within this tiny little seed, and you're putting it in the ground, and then what do you do? We were just in, 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 in our brother's class uh, earlier, uh, the plantation of prisons class. And, um, you know, just speaking about it, we can't just drop a seed in soil and then say, oh, let me go see, let me see. Whew, it's still there. <laughs> and then we go back the next day. Is it there? Is it there? Oh, it's still there today. And then we look up and it's like, oh, my God, nothing has grown. Why? 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 Oh, everything is against me. See, that's what we think. Mm-hmm. Every day. The sun is against me. The mo- everything <laughs> is against me. And then you have to ask the right question. Well, did I leave it alone? Did I allow it to become what it's going to be? Did I allow the process? Right? So this is what this, this whole thing um, is about as well. What does it mean, again, going back to this aspect of a field hand? And going back to this aspect of what it means to work side by side, Mm. to hold one another to the vision, to allow the other to be and become more of what it's going to become, and to be patient with one another. We're living in the space where we're so impatient. Oh my goodness! We, you know, if it doesn't happen in like two point, I mean, and that might be too slow, two point (laughs) five seconds. If it doesn't happen in that time, you know, we're like, the internet is like crappy. Nothing's working. The Wi-Fi, there's no, I have no signal, no connection. You know, and, 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 but the reality is that we don't have a signal. And we don't have a connection. 
So it's forcing us to get to this space of what it means. It's bringing us back to being able to feel what the earth feels like. What does it feel like to feel soil running through your hands? Do we know? What does it feel like to know what it, what it means to put something, to, to actually see something, the fruit of something, the fruit of what it is that we've done? See, it, 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 it's really about how do we take this, this thought, and, and allow it to have its space and then watch it become this grand thing. And you've done this before. And you do it every day. You do it all the time, as a matter of fact. Everything that you do is based on, you know what, I've had this thought. Just people being here, if you had a paper that you had to do. How many, most people are here for a class? Okay. <laughs> so what comes about? There's something that comes with that, right? There's a, there's a, 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 a benefit in most cases that comes, right, with that. I'm, I'm going to the talk, and it's just a talk. I guess I could go in here, but I guess I don't know what it's about. Yeah, love, just something about love, and uh, yeah, I don't know, radical, I don't know, whatever it is, right? So we come here, we hear this, and then before you know it, love is something that's now the seed that's implanted in your head. Then you get out of here, and you're talking about love to all these other people, and they're like, what are you, what is she on? Where did they come from? What is happening? You know, so this is what this whole thing is about. So now, even in that, it also goes to what other seeds have we allowed to be planted that we can weed out? We see what I'm saying here? What can we get out of here that really is not serving us? And the thing about it is that sometimes... We have to let these other things grow. That's what they say about weeds, right? You have to let the weeds grow. I'm talking about weed. I'm not talking about weed. Weed. I know I'm in California. <laughs> but we have to let... They let a lot of things grow. Right. <laughs> we have to let these things grow. And then you sort it out from there. Oh, this is not what I thought it was. Mm. But you know that comes with patience. And that comes with real love. Mm. That comes with a real mm. kind of nurturing. That comes with a real kind of gentleness. And it also comes with a real kind of knowledge. So it's allowing ourselves to be knowledgeable, and it's allowing uh, this belief to come through. We've been talking a lot about this aspect of belief, this aspect of power. And do we believe that we have the kind of power to grow beautiful things? Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's what a time. Here you go. Gotta go. Oh. <laughs> um, a, a grower of beautiful things is David Kim, who several years ago in the midst of the collapse of the <clears throat> economy, the environment, the educational system, in the midst of what appears to be endless wars around the world, started an initiative around love-driven politics. And it seems that, uh, you know, Sonny is talking about how hard it is to make that a tangible um, uh, idea for people when the last thing in the world you might think of if you've been hurt is to develop more love. If you've been hurt, you want to hurt. If somebody hates you, you want to hate back. And yet your project has been to, uh, to build uh, a coalescence around the idea of love-driven politics. And I wonder if you could explain to us how you came to that and, 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 and why uh, that came to you as a solution at the time when it did. Well, before I talk about love-driven politics, I want to first say a note, maybe several notes of thanks and appreciation in this space. You know, uh, George spoke of Margaret as a visionary, and she truly is a visionary, to set a theme for a major university 
to set a theme around resilient love and to name the time as hate is both visionary and understanding. It's compassionate. It's caring. It's generative. I want you all, the students here, to understand and appreciate who you have in your midst, who's leading you. People like Margaret, people like Zavini, that incredible multicultural center back there where apparently everyone and everything goes through there. (laughs) It's like Grand Central and Penn Station and LAX in one place. (laughs) But for multicultural folks. I guess those places are multicultural, right? But Zavini... And think about the other visionaries you have in your midst. The great Paul Spickard, historian, one of the great uh, menches, you know, in the academy. Samir Pandya, in Asian American Studies, who just won a major writing award from Penn. Rick Benjamin, the poet. Poet, you have poets amongst you. You have poets who are willing teachers amongst you. Uh, we have Barbara Tomlinson, right, BT, one of the towering figures in gender studies. Right? Inez Talamantes. Inez Talamantes. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Never forget Inez, or she won't let you forget her, right? You know, there. Oh, no, let me also mention where's Jasmine? One of my former students and now one of your student colleagues here, Jasmine Kellake, one of the most brilliant young students and scholars. You watch, you keep an eye out on her because she's going to show you something. And I also want to thank, just being in conversation and partnership with Sonny Patterson, the supreme and sublime artist, the spinner of wisdom, Mm. this provocateur of the soul. He's a poet. No, my, 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 my. And what am I going to say about my dear, dear brother George Lipsitz? Come on. Did I say I'm sitting next to George Lipsitz? Do you understand that George Lipsitz, the great George Lipsitz, is on your faculty? I mean, George was kind to say, well, you know, I started the Love Dome Politics, but the Love Dome Politics was really started in a conversation with George, hmm. where there was an abiding concern about what was malforming hmm. students, what was malforming the academy, what was malforming the culture. It was not just about the collapse of the economy, but it was a collapse of our moral economy that was happening. Yeah. And we were feeling desperate we were feeling desperate and there was a need there was a need to fill and we say well why aren't we talking in these desperate times as George says you don't, you don't, you don't meet hate with hate you don't meet anger with anger you need to find the most powerful tonic available to us yeah. so let's talk about love mm. let's talk about love And let's begin to imagine a politics that is not about accruing power. Let's try to imagine a politics that is not about annihilating your enemy. 
Let's try to imagine a politics that is infused and driven and motivated by love, where love is something like compassion. Love is something like generosity. Love is something like forgiveness. And love is something like mercy. Where mercy is where the heart meets suffering. Imagine a politics. Imagine a politics that's shaped and defined by mercy, where our hearts are bending towards suffering. And we haven't even gotten to justice yet. We haven't even gotten to freedom yet. You know, I begin, I begin with a, a note of gratitude because um, that's what my parents taught me. Right? That's what my ancestors taught me. What do you all say when, when you say thank you? What's the response to thank you? You're welcome. You're welcome. Amen. Right. You're welcome. But think about this. You say thank you, and your response is, you are welcome. Mm-hmm. That's right. You are welcome. One of the defining characteristics of what we're doing in Love Driven Politics, which includes folks like George, which includes folks like Sonny, which includes folks like my dear friend and colleague Amy Allison, the visionary progressive and author and advocate of people of color who is here in the audience here from Oakland, California, is that Love Driven Politics is not about enemies and friends, but it's about invitations. You are welcome where an invitation is an act of love. An invitation is a promise to find time and to make space for somebody else. And in that promise, in that promise, the politics is to make that promise that we're going to be together. Not because we expect to get along. We're going to be together because that's the work. To spend that time to make that promise, to invite you to be with me as an act of love. We were talking about dialogues, right? But these promises that we try to make to each other, and, you know, we'll fail. We'll fail. And Stanley's and quite right. We'll fail, but we have to keep each other accountable in those promises. You know, you promised to be with me. You know, you're right. You said you were welcome, but you weren't so welcoming. You know, you know you're right. So we're also talking about love driven politics as an ethic and an attitude of humility. Mm. Think about the arrogance that got us here. Think about the arrogance that is on display around the country. Think about the arrogance with the, you know, that funny blonde. (laughs) There's not a lot of humility, a loving humility on display on the political scene. So what we're trying to do in love in politics is to try to transform the culture. Yeah. Where love is an argument. It's not a proposition. Love is an argument. It's an argument to be made. It's an argument to be had. And let's say it, it's an argument to be won. Love is an argument. Come have that argument with us. Right? Come join us. One of the things that David has taught me, uh, drawing on his mentor, Cornell West, was to look at the outpouring in the streets of Ferguson by a collection of people who hadn't been together before, uh, uh, 
queer and trans women of color, pastors and preachers, uh, politicians, criminalized youth, standing side by side in the face of tanks, expressing what David and Cornell referred to as, as a love out loud, as a sense that our lives matter, our lives are important, we're going to believe in, in these lives. And it occurred to me that very few people understood what they were doing because they were living almost in a different time. Mm-hmm. That those young people out in the streets and their allies had a different sense of time. And this is something I see in Sonny's work. Sonny has this masterpiece called We Know This Place, mm-hmm. That's about place, but it's also about time. It talks about a collapsing of past and present. And it concludes with no break, no bow, push on children because freedom is now. Mm. And yet, almost on the surface, it, it, it almost hurts to say it because we feel that freedom isn't now right. you know, as we experience it. And, of course, you wrote this in the wake of this incredible disaster in your community in Uh, all of New Orleans, but especially your Ninth Ward. And I wonder if you could talk about the sense of of time and being on time Mm. that that represents. So, well, we know this place. One, it was written, so it began actually well before Katrina in uh, Ghana, West Africa. One of my close teachers, Dr. Morris F.X. Jeff uh, Jr., who's since transitioned, um, he had this big, deep voice, and he would say, we know this place, we know this place. <laughs> so we were performing uh, at the Panafest in, in Ghana, and this was the, the theme of it, we know this place, we know this place. So then after we would go to see the what they would call slave dungeons, uh, or slave castles, they would call them, but you know, when, I, when we think of mm-hmm. castles, we think of this beautiful space, so we have to call these spaces dungeons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get here, we get to these spaces, and to envision, you know, to envision uh, uh, these, you know, African ancestors uh, having to uh, be packed in these spaces, uh, sardine-like, they say, two by two, three by threes. Uh, you could be uh, pack, tight pack or, or, or packed uh, loose, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, and loose would be twos. Tight is threes. Uh, feet to head type uh uh, movement, you know, or, or, or lack of movement, let's say. But there were cases where these bodies would lay on top of, of one another. And so I would think about this, like, what does it mean for a body if uh, they died on top of you? And can you imagine what that looks like if for, for, for you to be laying here and open your eyes only to see these blank stares? Mm. So I kept this vision here. Years pass, uh, Dr. Jeff transitioned. I wanted to write a piece for him when he transitioned, and I could not. So we know this place didn't come about until Hurricane Katrina. And that was the only time I was able to finally write something uh, because it was a place that certainly we knew, a place that we have known. And so it stemmed from seeing these slave ships and then these Greyhound buses that was, uh, you know, bust into New Orleans during this time to uh, literally break up families. Some people say, yeah, they were, you know, sent to rescue families. Uh, but in a lot of cases with the buses, uh, wives and uh, children were put on one bus and men were sent on another bus. Mm. And in a lot of cases to different cities. 
and in some cases, cities that we have no idea uh, about. So a lot of that, uh, this aspect of slavery, this aspect of seeing this kind of enslavement now, and what does it look like now, even now, even 2016? So we know this place is not just for 2005, right, when Katrina hit. We know this place is for 2016 because we know this place as well. Hopefully we can create a new space in time to come. But, you know, for right now, we know this place, right? I, w- I would do the poem, but we don't have uh, that much time. Do it after the break. We'll do it after, uh, after the break and everything. But uh, it's, it's to know when we're speaking about this now, freedom is now. What does this now encompass, right? If we believe this thing about time, past, present, and future, this now, this now holds all of these moments within it. Now, freedom is now. Now, this again, like you said, it's like, ugh, how can we say this? Because we, we don't see it. Well, this is the thing. Because we have to begin to see it. We understand what I'm saying. We have to see this here. There are some things that we have to see here first. See, sometimes we have to move from a space of it's not just, well, you know, seeing is believing. Sometimes it's believing is seeing. Mm. So now it means that we have to begin to come to this space where we are imagining these spaces. We're putting out here, what does this space look like? What does freedom really look like? Mm. We can say this, but what really does it look like to you? Mm. What comes up for you when you, when you hear this? Is it just the flag flying? Really? Mm. What is it? What is freedom? What is justice? What do, what, what do these mm. things mean? See, we, we, we roll these words off so easily sometimes mm. when the reality is that we've never even thought about it. So this is a challenge now for you to use your imagination, use this power that you have to create something that is a powerful, powerful piece. This is the greatest poetry, mm. to, 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 to sit and to imagine with a room of others, mm. with a room of others, mm. to breathe freedom in a space like this. Mm. To envision this, to have a guide, you know, just a, a moment. Mm-hmm. Of, we can t- we have two minutes. That can be a long time. Mm. I will challenge everyone right now to close your eyes. Let's go to this space. What really does this? I thought she was looking at me. I was about to say, close your eyes. when we say this freedom is now what does this look like in your mind what does this look like what's something that comes up what sense what smells come up even what colors all of these things, this is an important, an important thing because guess what? If we don't see it, if we're not seeing it here, guess where else we will not see it? Keep seeing it, keep seeing it. I know you got places to go and everything. I know that's something that's coming up in your mind is with I'm talking about seeing it. You're like, oh my God. I think I had a, a hamburger for lunch. <laughs> <coughs> see it, see it, see it, see it, see it. Invent it. That's what this thing is about. Inventing. Invent it. You got one minute.
sing it. Create it. Make it. Be it. Love it. Live it. Like it. See it. Is it something that you can see? Take it home with you. <laughs> Use it in your home. <laughs> what you've created here. Take it with you. Oh, time up. Hey. Your freedom is over. Freedom is done. Time is up. <laughs> okay, yeah. Goes like this. Oye, Goes like this. Um, we're going to take a break here because we know people have to catch the bus. We know people have to go to work. We know people have other classes. And so we're going to take a little break. If you need to clear out, please do it now. And then Sonny and David will really get down for those who stay. Thank you. Nobody's leaving. Okay, we're back. We're back. Thank you so much. Uh, in uh, Tony Morrison's uh, Beloved, there's a character named Baby Suggs who's a preacher. And she tells the congregation that the only grace you can have is the grace you can imagine. If you can't imagine it, you can't have it. But I think for many of us, we feel we've been imagining it too long. We've been yearning. We've been hoping. We've been sold dreams. You know, we're, we're told that uh, Dr. King was, was a dreamer, but we forget that on July 1, 1966, he told a group of people, a crowd in Jackson, Mississippi, that I've seen my dream turn into a nightmare. We celebrate the dream, but we never urge each other to wake up and to confront what has happened to those hopes. So I wonder if David could help us think about that, about when envisioning isn't enough and when people have had uh, so many uh, hearts broken, have been exposed to so much folly. Uh, have uh, not gotten uh, anything that, that has been uh, placed in front of them as, uh, as their reward, as their goal. And I wonder how we, how we uh, confront that. You know, obviously we, we all have disappointments, but some of us feel that we've lost the most precious hopes, the most precious aspirations, the, these moments that Sonny and David talk about when you feel in harmony and in accompaniment with others. They're absolutely true, but they're also often fleeting, they're often hard to get back. You often see that same person that you were, uh, you were marking, walking down the road with uh, in solidarity, and uh, y- you can't get that back. You know, you feel it's gone forever. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what I think is the core experience of this society, which in many ways is disappointment. Right. Well, I think <clears throat> so. that's a powerful question, right? I mean, I think one of the things about disappointment is it's fundamentally about loss. Yeah which is also to say it's fundamentally about death. And one of the things that those of us working on, this, on, on love, radical love, is to understand that love is also learning how to die. Mm-hmm. We let a former self die so that a new self can be born. Yeah. We let a former ideal die so that a new ideal can come into to being. But we only let it die if we truly mourn it. I mean, mourning, mourning, taking the time, making the space to mourn a loss. I mean, it's bigger than disappointment, right? It's, it's, it's deeper than disappointment, deeper than disaffection. Something has died. 
Let us grieve this death, this loss. But what are we talking about a loss of an ideal of something like freedom? What are we talking about the loss, the death of our faith in justice? How do we mourn that? How do we mourn that? I mean, I want to make a case. I want to make a case for tenderness. Where tenderness is something like a small gesture, a touch on the arm. Tenderness is a larger gesture, like a meaningful hug. I don't mean the, you know, the, the bro hug. Right? Right. Yeah, yeah, no. But, you know, George is my brother, and I'll give him a hug. Which is to say what? To break down the gap that separates us. To bring someone into proximity with you. To be with you, next to you. Your body's touching. It's not erotic. Well, it might be, right? But that loving act, that tender act of literally pulling someone to you and holding them with you and saying, I am with you. I can feel your grief. I can feel your loss. This is what freedom fighters do. This is what loving freedom fighters do. Because we know how painful it is. We know how painful it is to lose and to love and to, to be witness to death. We know it. We feel it. And we feel it with those that we are in solidarity with. It's to, it's, you know, we talked earlier about suffering, you know, that mercy is extending the heart to suffering. But it's also expanding our hearts. But also understanding that acts of love that are consonant with acts of justice, you know, to envision freedom is also to feel free. And part of feeling free is being willing to let go. To be willing to let go. And much of what we're talking about, love in a time of hate, is also a call to be mature. A call to be mature. Can we help each other be mature so that we're actually mourning with each other and helping each other mourn? And to mourn gracefully and graciously. I mean, one of the things that I have a deep concern about is the absence of graciousness and grace, where graciousness and grace are something like gifts and giving. And to understand these gestures and acts as gifts and giving. And that someone gives you something and you should receive it with grace and graciousness. We say thank you. And you say, you are welcome. Uh, About a decade ago, Clyde Woods and I were uh, telling the people at the International uh, Institute for Creative Studies and Improvisation that they needed to invite Sonny Patterson to come to Southwest Ontario and do a piece for them. Mm. Because everything we had been trying to explain to them and argue and write about would become clear if they brought her. And they said, well, what does she do? And I said, well, you know, Sonny kind of changes the temperature in the room. (laughs) 
Sonny makes me feel joyful, unnecessary, unburdened. And they say, oh, what is her poetry about? I say, oh, genocide, murder, <laughs> rape, brutality. And they said, they said, this doesn't sound right. Uh, they, they thought something was wrong with me, which, you know, may, may be the case. But her ability to, to blend this, you know, this capacity to find something left to love in situations that are unlovable, mm. to find joy in situations that appear to be joyless, is, I think, a part of her, her magic, a part of her alchemy. And I was talking to her before and remembered that she had once said, and I'm paraphrasing here, and of course I can never say anything as well as Sonny does, but I, I remember her saying that you have to carry on the struggle, but you also have to live the victory. And I wonder if you could talk to us about that and about this, this, this tacking back and forth in your work where you're able to say, to confront the most daunting realities and yet have a celebratory sense of, of joy and liberation uh, in the midst of it. It's something you do for us, and it's something that comes out of you, but it's, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, <laughs> I, can, I, I can absolutely see, see that. That was funny. Um, but, you know, it's, especially, be, you know, with activist work, we hear that all the time, mm. that the struggle continues. Right. The struggle continues. The struggle continues. And I would be in so many of these circles like, oh, my gosh. The struggle again. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of struggling, you know. And, and so, but what I know at the same time is, again, the language. This thing is about shifting and changing language. Because when we shift and change language, we're shifting uh, how we're thinking about a thing. So it's it even redefining uh, is dispelling the myth, right? So I'm, I'm big on, yeah, I, I, I get it. I know what this means. But we, we need to, uh, let's, let's speak about the victory. And then we, because, you know, it's so easy for us. You, you said this earlier, we, we parade our wounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know why we parade our wounds? Because that's when we have to ask, what privilege have we received from parading our wounds? Mm-hmm. How has this benefited us, you know? Um, and that's a, that's a real question. Like, what, what do we get? Yeah. What comes with it, you know? Um, how do we, you know, it gets us out of things. It gets us into things, you know? So it, we, it, it's definitely a, a benefit sometimes, you know? But when we're speaking about this aspect of victory, see, it allows us to see, it goes back to what we were talking about, this extended sight. Because now we're... We're going beyond this space here and now. I had an elder. She would say, "Son, you should celebrate your 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 um, celebrate the victory now. You know because it's well." She would say, "Celebrate your future." Is what she would say. Celebrate your future because it brings it to you quicker. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing when we're in the midst of what it is we're in the midst of. And we're talking about in a time of hate. How do we do this? We had a student in the class uh, earlier. She was like, "Well, how do we?" Uh, I don't know if she's here. She was a theater, what was a theater person? I can't even remember her name. But anyway, she, um, she said, um, she asked, well, really, how do we, you know, do this work when there is so much hate mm-hmm. going right. on? Right. And it's like, wow, you know, this is a, which is a very real question. But then here it goes to, because I remember being asked this question in an in, in interview when they said, well, if you could tell the 
the enemy right. one thing, what would it be? I'm like, nothing. I don't have nothing to say to <laughs> what do I? What do I need to say to an enemy? You know, I, I don't know. You know, so I'm saying we have so many things to do with the people that we love. So many things to build with the people that we love, that we have to starve this space. Now, does this mean that we don't speak truth to, to, to power? Does this mean that we don't speak out against injustice? It absolutely does not mean that. What it means is that we can move from this space now, uh, we, we've been saying this, from a principle-centered space. Mm-hmm. It means that I'm moving from, see, a question that we had to constantly ask the class earlier, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? See, when we are grounded in this who am I, we're moving from a different kind of space. When we're moving from an enemy-centered space, we're moving one out of lack. We're moving in desperation. We understand what I'm saying here. We're moving from, we're moving from, from fear. We're moving from reactions. We're not moving from a full space. So now here we are, yes, we have all of these stories. We have this, this, like this genocide. All of these grave accounts of injustice. We're bombarded and hit with trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma every day. But one thing for certain, I know who I am. So see, when I know who I am, I'm in a less compromising mm-hmm. position. There are, things, there are things that I will not compromise when I know who I am. It's only when I don't know who I am. It's only when I don't have faith in who I am. It's only when I deem myself unworthy that I will grovel. So because of that, because of that, I will celebrate. In the midst of it, in the face of an enemy. This is when we talk about the whole we made it, going to to that poem. You know, at the end of of that poem, all of these accounts... We, we, we have this account of what it means, you know, in, in, in historically. Uh, with One story in that is about the uh, cook in the kitchen. I'm a cook in the kitchen asking the missus to taste the dinner. Take a long, long sip because death ain't always this good. <laughs> we understand. See, there are accounts, there are other accounts where there are, are, are what, what comes after that which is about a story of a little boy in New Orleans who was stabbed 47 times in front of a church, running away from uh, uh, watching his mother being beaten. The, step, the, the boyfriend caught the little boy and stabbed him 47 times in front of a church. Or the other account of, a, uh, of a, uh, another man who in... A sick, twisted uh, way decided that he was going to not, he stuffed, and see, I have to use this language so you understand what this looks like. He stuffed his penis in a nine year old girl's mouth. See, we have to hear these kind of things because it shakes the shit. Hold on. He did what now? You see, so even in the midst of all of these horror stories, and this is nonfiction. Mm-hmm. This is not fiction. Now, this is not some, oh, we're watching American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is an American Horror Story. But it's also an a, 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 a African Horror Story. It's also a European Horror Story. It's also, we understand what I'm saying. So what is here is not just here. 
So this brings us back to this aspect of space. This brings us back to this aspect of time. But most importantly, it brings us to, again, this aspect of vision. What do I do now? With how, do I, you know, how do I, even when we're talking about this grieving, this aspect of mourning, how do we mourn this loss of all of these people and then still keep, keep up? And I'm saying keep up, literally, keep up. How do we keep up the countenance? How do we not let the countenance fall? But see, that takes work. Back again, who am I? Am I worthy of joy? Am I worthy of this mercy? Am I worthy of compassion? Am I worthy of good? And then if we're honest, we will say that, oh, wow, you know, all this time, I didn't think that I was worthy. Mm. All this time. Oh, my God. So, see, now this is why things have to change. This is why we have to begin to change not just the language, but the voice that we're hearing. What is the voice? I said we had to speak about this in the class. Whose voice do we hear? When it's time for us to get up. When we're alone for students, right? Say students, when you, you, you have these papers due, you have failed tests, you don't want to tell your parents, <laughs> your, your scholarship is in jeopardy, you don't know what to do. It's all of these things that's happening, right? And you are alone by yourself. Tears are falling. Nobody else knows. What do you hear to get up? Who gets you up in this case? So now what is the voice? How does it sound? Where does it come from? I had somebody to ask, well, you know, we, hear, we, we speak about this. We hear this voice of God, but what, what, what is the voice of God? What does it sound like to you? Mm. I said, well, it sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like me. And it's so deep. I was like, and the thing is, if you listen hard enough, it sounds like you. But the voice is so deep inside of you that it appears as if it is outside mm. of you. Mm. Mm. That's deep. <laughs> but it's you all the time. It's you. <coughs> See, this goes to a thing. There's a, 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 a quote. It says, there is no one coming. God sent you. Mm. Period. <laughs> Thank you. Um, when... Uh, David and I talk on these issues. Uh, it usually takes about 30 seconds before we're quoting James Baldwin. And Baldwin's ability to do precisely what Sony was talking about, to find himself worthy and to find great value in places that other people would not find value, is, I think, part of the charge that we have. There's a PBS interview where the interviewer says to Baldwin, you know, as a child, you realize you were, you were black, you were poor, you were gay. How did that affect you? And Baldwin says, I thought I hit the jackpot. <laughs> because if I could find humanity there, I could find it anywhere. Mm. And in struggling with mm. the hand he'd been dealt, of course, not the blackness, not the gayness, not the poverty, but the costs of all of those, mm. in struggling with those costs, he learned a humanity that more privileged people were never able to find. And I wonder, David, if you could talk a little yeah, bit yeah. about that. I mean, Baldwin, I mean, let's just call him, he's our secular gospel writer. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's our secular gospel writer. I mean, he brought the good news <laughs> of a love, not just in the time of hate, but a love that is saturated with evil. 
I want to, and then I want to make sure that we stay there long enough. You know, when, when suddenly you were talking about those horrors. I mean, Baldwin was not just witness to evil, but he insisted that we all witness the evil itself. And he wanted to get, he wants to get us to love. Right? That's the gospel. He wants to get us to love. But you don't get to the love unless you see with the clearest eye and the fullest heart the evil that is before us. Yeah. And what do we do then, Baldwin asks, in the face of the evil? You know, when his, in that beautiful letter to his nephew, mm-hmm. that tender-hearted letter to his nephew, where every word, every line is filled with heartache and heartbreak and mercy and joy and dreaming. What does he say? You know, he says, you know, I know you're angry. Right? You have every right to be angry. Look at white folks. What, what has white supremacy done to us? I know you're angry. I'm with you. But what do we have to do? We have to forgive them. We've got to forgive those who have oppressed us, who have compromised our integrity, who have insisted on the compromise of our integrity as normal and natural. You could use that as a definition of evil now, couldn't you? Hmm. The insistence that you are less than human is normal and natural. Hmm. And what does Baldwin say? We have to forgive them. Why? Because that's our only hope. Mm -hmm. That's our only hope. We have no choice. Now, I don't want to overburden the moral mandate of black America. Because believe me, black America has done plenty for us. But we need to pay attention to moral example. We talk about calling. We talk about vocation. We talk about who's calling us, who's speaking to us. It may be, you know, the voice of God may be us. I think it's actually sunny. But with the, the voice of God. Well, let's just say, like, the call of love is not just singular. The call of love will be from those who suffer. The call of, actually, you know, even from the, from the enemy. Yeah. And when Baldwin says we have to forgive them, yeah. I mean, think about the, you know, the hard... Mandate to love thy enemy. Right? The monstrousness yeah. of that claim. Love that, those who sought your annihilation, where annihilation means to make you nothing. Mm-hmm. How do I love them? How do I lift myself up, hold my countenance up, that I'm going to insist on this monstrous act of loving those who are annihilating my people. And Baldwin says, you just have to do it. What else are we going to do? Because otherwise we are self-defeated and we make ourselves nothing. Right? So the tenderness, the tenderness which Baldwin writes to his nephew, because it's, it's the generation after him. His nephew carries his name. You are me. He says, I see your father's face in your face. My brother. And I'm sad. And I'm woeful. But we have to carry on. The only care hope is that we can forgive, to love. Right. I, 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 and even <clears throat> in hearing that and saying that, sometimes hearing that is like, 
No, here we go again. <laughs> we because you know it was after Charleston yeah. uh, when the people were killed in, yeah. in yeah. the Charleston church. Do we remember this? And I saw more of mm-hmm. forgiveness became a naughty word. Right. It became as vulgar as saying, I, you know, whatever. It became just like, oh, no, forgive, forgive. What does that mean? So this is why we, we spoke about this uh, last night, but I, I want to offer it up again, that we don't look at forgiveness as this weak stance. That's right. Because, see, another kind of ear would hear this kind of tenderness and say, it's, it's, it's like we were speaking about earlier, right? It's a sellout. Mm. But only, in, only a mind that looks at forgiveness from an antiquated, oppressive, and, oppressor, or, or, an oppressor's point of view would think forgiveness in these terms. Mm. So I'm offering this, this, this definition of forgiveness, which would say that I am for giving up an old notion of myself in order to gain a new one. We understand what I'm saying when I say this. So forgive, you know, when you hear this, only an oppressor would say, only a destroyer would say forgive and forget. Oh, yes, your entire family has been killed. You just must forget it. A divine type of amnesia must come over you. You don't care. You can't care about it anymore. Certainly you can forget. No. Again, forgive Forget. I am for giving up an old notion of myself in order to gain a new one, and I am for the getting. I am for getting a new notion of myself. Because that's what this thing is about. We bring it all the way around. It's, all, it's, it's me. Here. It's me. What is it that I'm, I'm, I'm feeling here? Go with the feeling. They tell us to don't go with the feeling. Go with the feeling. <coughs> go with the feeling. Go with the heart. Go with the heart. Mm. It's the mind. It's the first mind. When, you, when your mother was pregnant with you, they didn't look for a brain beat. Mm. They looked for a heartbeat. Mm. I'm, 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 you know, I'm serious. <laughs> they didn't look for a liver beat. They didn't look for they, they looked for a heartbeat. They, they, they listened. Listen for this. This brain. This one. Right? So this is the thing about forgiveness and why that's revolutionary. Why this thing of love is something that is a revolutionary act. Why this thing of hope is something that's only for the brave. Mm. You cannot be a coward and be hopeful. But see, we've turned that into uh, hope. It's not not for the weak. Mm. It's not for the cowards. It's only for the brave. To love is only for the brave. You have to be brave because there's so much risk. It's risky. It's risky to be a truth teller. It's risky. But you know what's even more risky is not doing it. What's even more risky is not doing it. I'm supposed to do a poem. I'm forgetting. Um, Okay. Uh, What is coming to my 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 mind? uh, let's okay. Let's we may come to mind. This other poem just comes to mind as well. We have not we have not always found comfort in killers. Uh, we have not always found solace being rocked in the bosoms of those who silently pray and then openly destroy. No, not always have we mistaken mimicry for mastery, or pretending for knowing, or enslavement for freedom. But across my memory. 
Across my memory marches millions, bold, regal, resilient, confident, unshackled feet stumping up spirits to guide us through this fickle material world. We, we like sun and moon folk, universal souls praying our prayers and singing our songs. Eshu, Ogun, Shango, Yemoja, Oshun, Obatala, Oya, Dambala, Aida, Wedo, Ra, Nkango, Olodumare, and Yame. We know all of you by name. We, we are people of beginnings of culture, of strength. Not always have we given in to the empty threats and scare tactics of the powerless ones. Not always have we allowed the blood of our sons and daughters to color the streets while we're walking asleep, marching to the beat of death siren song. They're still wearing their sheets, nooses in reach, showing their teeth and then smiling it seems. But I hear in the breeze, in the rustle of the trees, in the dangling of the feet, they say, please, oh please don't let them ever forget. You see, not always have we suffered from amnesia. Not always have we forgotten how to conjure up spirit, ancestor wisdom, fix up a mixture, spiritual elixirs, ancient traditions. We like magicians, God like vision. We, we are people of sight. So no, not always have we fallen for this okie doke or inhaled the hazardous smoke of the manipulators or been satisfied with crumbs from meals our hands have prepared. You said life for us ain't been no crystal stair, but at least the steps are there to push us up higher. Teach us how to go beyond the destroyer's disguises. Look them in the eyes and be able to see. Because what's surprising when you know the nature of a beast and especially when they've shown the same face for centuries, huh? So you tell me. What's the difference between two women in New Orleans shot point blank in the back of the head and two women bombed in their car in Baghdad? Or government-sanctioned killings in Kenya and a sister held hostage in a house in Virginia? Or poverty in Haiti, poverty in Jamaica, rape in Rwanda or rape in Somalia, a sweatshop in China or one in Guatemala, or smallpox and blankets, syphilis and Tuskegee, formaldehyde and FEMA, ethnic cleansing and Katrina. I recall within his speech, Dr. King made us aware. He said injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere so they can spare us that drama, huh? Look, we got the heart of them field working mamas. We carry the torture that ancestor fire. So with every fiber that flutters in our being, with every find that comes from our seeking, with every hearing that comes from our listening, and every sight that comes from our seeing, oh, we must be faithful, strategic, victorious, and we must be free. Okay. Uh, We've come to the time where uh, we should have some questions and uh, discussion. Uh, I'm going to ask you to exert some discipline. There are two rules in this kind of question period. One, this is, this is a university, and so there's no such thing as a question that's too frank. Mm. There's no such thing as a question that's too blunt. Mm. But there is such a thing as a question that's too long. So, uh, so, so check yourself before you wreck yourself. The second principle might be harder uh, for you to manage, and that is we are here with one particular project in mind. Mm. We want to know how to make something beautiful out of this hollowed out world Mm. that has been left to us. And so you might have a political group. You might have a political candidate. 
that you think is the answer to all of this. And that's worthy work, but it's not the work to be done here. You might have a religious uh, commitment. You might want to share the most important part of your life uh, by having your faith be somebody else's uh, faith. And that's important work, and your business is your business, but that's not the work we're doing here. And you may have a curiosity about some product or some activity that you want to uh, vet here. And that, that, there's a place for that, but this is not the place for that. This is the place where we try to uh, connect ourselves to develop the strength to love for what Dr. King called the bitter but beautiful struggle. And so we want to have questions and answers and comments that talk about how we can become the people that we are not yet, that talk about the ways in which we can prepare ourselves. If you can be ready, you don't have to get ready. And so part of what we want to do is deepen our capacity to develop the courage, clarity, and conviction that we are going to need in the very difficult days that are ahead. And so we want to have questions and comments that revolve around that development of capacity. And so uh, with that, I want to open it up. And uh, I don't know if we have microphones or if we can have house lights, uh, but uh, let's see if there are questions or comments. We need, we, we need somebody to, uh, to raise one. Okay, we have, we have one right here. And, and we, need, we need volume. We need your... Okay, oh, left right. and right side of the stage. Please, oh. Then please come up to the microphones. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was really powerful. And I want to say two things, so I will try to be short. One is that I love this. We are field hands of freedom. And it reminds me so much of what's happening at Standing Rock in North Dakota. And um, the, the work that they're doing connects to the land, the preciousness of the land, of life, of having the courage to love, of, of learning from uh, uh, the knowledge of the ancestors, and having the courage to dig in deep. And they are planning to stay there through the winter. And we have contingents from Santa Barbara who've gone there. And if I may make a quick announcement, on Monday, we are having a report back from the local Chumash community on witnessing what happened at Standing Rock. And that's happening Monday at 7 o'clock at the Multicultural Center Lounge, put on by, if I may say, the Center for Black Studies Research. Um, and the other thing is, I hear that you're saying that you, that I mean, what's so powerful is that this is helping us to think about how we can heal ourselves, how we can grow our love and our compassion and become better people. But I'm also very curious, and this is absolutely part of what's needed. I think in social movements, relationships are crucial. But we need to do more than grow ourselves. We need to grow our communities. We need to grow our social movements. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that, because that is all of what you're speaking about, and yet I'm afraid that what can be taken away from this talk is growing myself as an individual, and that's not what we're here to do. So could you speak to social movement work? So I'm, all, I'm, I'm big on the I'm big on the eye. 
right? Um, but what that means is that when we're doing this kind of work, we can't be in service when we, we haven't done the work. Um, so this is, this is what I want you to absolutely know, <laughs> that when we're doing this kind of movement work, I first have to, because this landscape, um, what it, how have I cultivated this landscape? How, not, and this is a process that, see, some of us, when we're learning, we don't always, we're not learning to learn sometimes. Some of us have to learn to teach. Mm. Do we understand what I'm saying? There are some of us who are in positions uh, of being uh, leaders and they're like, ah, oh, well, I can't be out there because I don't know what to do. But the thing is, sometimes you do have to learn as you as you go. So some some people are are charged to learn to teach, and some are. Everybody is not charged to to do that in that space. But what it goes to everybody though is charged to learn about themselves. Everybody is charged to learn about themselves. So in no way. Though, do I want you to uh, take that away from here, that it is just an individual effort? This is why we're saying why we need a, a, the, the village around us, why we have to have the friend, why we have to have the comrade, why we have to have these circles, why we have to have these gathering uh, spaces. Because what it does, again, is it holds us to the vision, Sometimes when we're too close on, on something, right, even if you put your hand up to your, your face and somebody says, describe your hand, you, can, you sometimes have to look down. But the comrade mm. can look at your hand and tell you what is, what's there. Mm. We see? So this is why we need one another, but most importantly, why we also need to know ourselves, because it always goes back to that question, who am I? And who am I in relation to the world? Right? Yeah, I mean, look, um, when Sonny said, you know, you have to know yourself and know your heart, you also have to feel your heart, right? To be in solidarity with others, you have to know how to feel. Yes. Right, so that, you know, we hold up the Socratic ideal of self-knowledge. But what about the ideal of self-feeling? To understand what we feel, yeah. right? I mean, because you know, in a, love in a time of hate, resilient love. Let's remind ourselves: resilient yeah. love, right? Not it's not romantic. It's not romantic love. It's resilient love, which is to say, it's not just to bounce back, but it's to be rigorous. Mm. Right? When suddenly was talking about courage, this is not just courage so that we can be peacocks and crows strutting around the green. <laughs> I hear you have a few of those around here, too. <laughs> but we know ourselves, we feel ourselves, because that's how we stay connected to each other. Yeah. That's how we have mercy and tenderness for each other. One of the things that we say in the Love Driven Politics Collective is that our ambition is to be tough-minded and tender-hearted that the work is rigorous. When we say love is an argument, it is to be tough-minded. It is to understand the complexities 
of what lies before us, but to proceed with a tender heart, knowing that we are fully bruised. And think about how hard it is to feel lovingly with a bruised and battered heart. Mm. That bruised and battered heart. We don't have to go to John Donne. Go to Sarah Vaughan. Right? Go to Billie Holiday. Mm. We go to Santa Patterson. But the companionship, the accompaniment, right? To be with each other with our bruised hearts, knowing that many bruised hearts together might make one heart. Mm. And that's all we got in this moment. Resilience means that we have to help each other back up, extending a hand, pulling each other into proximity, closing those gaps. Social movements... You know, it's other people, but it's about closing gaps. We see a gap in justice. We see a gap in love. We're trying to close them. Yeah, Yeah, well, I I fully believe in large, organized social movements where strangers meet and work together. In Memphis, uh, where I was two weeks ago, a group of people invited Bishop Desmond Tutu to come and speak to them. And, uh, and Tudu said that he wouldn't come unless they formed an organized committee to fight racism. Mm. And he would show up if that committee existed. And this was some years ago. And when they showed up, what he talked to them about was Ubuntu, mm. uh, an African phrase that he has brought into liberation theology in which I can only find my humanity in you. You can only find your humanity in me. Mm. Those of you who know the... Um, the Mayan principle of inlakesh. This is the same thing. I'm the other you, you are the other me. But it's not simply a journey of personal discovery because when you are in large organized movements, you get a full sense of how power works. You have to confront the similarities you have with other people, but also the differences. This is what happened on the streets of Ferguson, where people found out that uh, they had different understandings of what it meant to be unapologetically black. But if the National Guard and the county police are coming, and they're coming in armored vehicles, and they're dropping uh, grenades on you that harm your hearing, if they have high-frequency sound machines, if they're pointing automatic weapons at you, you have to work out what it is that brings you together. What, what the great Chela Sandoval, who's here, talks about this consensual illusion of sameness that you deploy through differential consciousness in action. You have to work it out. That's what politics is about. And this is, we are surrounded by this. When Diane talks about Standing Rock, Standing Rock exists in part because of Idle No More, sweeping across Canada. And Idle No More and Standing Rock helped build Say Her Name, these forums that black women are holding around the country to talk about police violence, criminal violence, partner violence, but also the violence of hunger and housing insecurity. Masses are in motion processing these things. And the work we talk about on ourselves is tremendously important, but it's important to be part of that, to be links in that chain, to be part of that conversation, and to uh, catch that tide and ride uh, with it, because victory in the short run means a lot in the long run. Defeat in the short run means even more. And so if you let this moment go by, if you sleep through this chance, if you miss this opportunity, if you're not ready when you have to be ready, the 
pain and suffering will be magnified uh, enormously. Mm. But to participate, to change, and to win victories, not just this future victory of imagining, but the victories that are won uh, by... Jody Rios is studying Ferguson, and she's, she has an article where she talked about 50 things that have changed uh, because young people went out on black Twitter and said this life was, was one death too many and that they were going to mourn this death even no one else did. The preachers didn't do this. The politicians didn't do it. The professors didn't do it. Black children on Twitter did it, and 50 things have changed in the North County in St. Louis because they put their bodies in the street and nobody is giving them credit for it and nobody wants to honor what they did. But in fact, they've created a whole new economy, a whole new uh, set of social relations. They not only uh, have monitored the, the, the police, but they have a books and breakfast program where they are building a community through through study and through meeting each other's needs. And so this is what's happening at this moment. And there isn't one form that it's taking, but to think that it has to be organized, that it has to involve conflict. It can't just be people like you. It can't just be conniving and colluding with your comrades. It has to be meeting strangers and working things out and doing democratic deliberation, face-to-face conversation and decision-making. This is, this is where uh, this has to go. And so thanks so much to Diane for bringing that up. Yeah, Amen. Amen. Okay. Another, uh, okay. Um, thank you, very informative. Um, I, um, I'm struggling with this notion, I'll be frank, and I don't have the words really to, I think, express why I'm struggling with it in some ways. And speaking of hearts, my heart's beating like crazy because it's so personal and I'm trying to figure out how to say this. But um, my, my closest experience with this is, is that my father was born a Palestinian and I grew up in, in Beirut, Lebanon until I was 14 and I have strong ties to the Palestinian cause and I'm in solidarity with, with many communities that are similarly oppressed. And when I sit to think about the, the notion that, um, and it's an important notion, that we must love our oppressor, um, on whose terms and in what conditions, when I'm on my knees, having been put there on my knees for decades, having been taught what love means, what it means so you will love me, you will love me for doing this to you, and you will not, uh, you know, you, you have no say in that. We're certainly not equals. Democratic deliberation requires some sense of equality. How am I to love my oppressor when my oppressor is the, the exact one who's defined what that means and has not allowed me to love myself? So at what point do we say, no, the first step is to actually understand, who am I? I don't know who I am because I've struggled with that for decades and you're defining who I am, and if I don't abide by that, you will kill me. To love that, to love that oppressor, before I even know on my own terms and stand on my own two feet and say, no, this is who I am, and I got to that after thousands of people have had to die for me to try to understand what that is, they did not love you to get me to a point where I can start understanding what, who I am. So... I was there maybe 10 years ago, to be honest. And in the last 10 years of that experience, I've sort of lost that sense that I should love my oppressor. And that's why I'm struggling with this kind of, this kind of no, an important notion. But I, uh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what is being um, what we're saying here. Not I think. Mm. That's what I know 
uh, we're saying here that this is a space for redefining what this love is. Love from an oppressor, the definition of anything from an oppressor is never a definition for me or you or anybody sitting in this room. So it takes that, that, that's what it comes to taking this kind of courage, Mm. right? To be able to redefine. And some people will look at that as small. Mm. Just redefining what love is, redefining what forgiveness is, redefining what, you know, redefining these, these things. What does all of this mean? This is why we, we should always start something with defining what does this mean to you? Mm. What does this mean? You see what I'm saying? Because, again, it goes back to this aspect of forgiveness, like we were saying. This is why we can't look at this from an oppressor's point of view. Because forgiveness from an oppressor is never good for the person who is considered oppressed. Love from an oppressor is never for the person who is oppressed because it always equals enslavement. Mm. It always equals murder. Mm. It always equals injustice and everything else that comes along with it. It always equals wound. Mm. And so then here we are where we grovel. Mm. And then in this grovel, now it goes back to this, Mm -hmm. the parading of the wound. Mm -hmm. Because now we feel, um, now we are made inferior. Now we are, you know, the, 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 the form of it. So, you know, it goes now to having the, the courage to, one, redefine what all of these words mean, to take out the myth, to create new, now, now it's, creating new, it's creating a new narrative. What does this mean now? You know, I know instances on the campus of what have, have, has happened on the, the can, can we talk about this? Yes? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happened on the, the campus? Well, we've had, uh, you know, what? what it was, uh, yeah, well, you know, we, we've had a young man bleed to death in Isla Vista, and people trying to intervene be humiliated for seeking help uh, for him. And uh, we have a, a, a racial profiling all around us in which it's clear some lives matter a lot and other lives don't matter at all. I mean, right. this is the situation. So, and, so this is what I'm saying. Even in this, the courage that it takes to... The courage that it takes to not... There are a few things that you can do in situations like this. You can fall deeper in the rut of depression or you can get up and say enough. Okay, now this is like, okay, well that's kind of, that's an ideal thing, you know. To say enough is like, nah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's easier said than done, right? When everything is happening and you're in the midst of it and you're in the midst. So, but, but, but I'm, I'm going to this because this is where we were speaking about this aspect of, and this is a trigger word, this is a word that will, you know, trigger, get kind of twilight zone on us. Right, we were going to the space of what does it mean to have a psychic armor? Okay, I know psychic. That's one of those words. <laughs> what does this mean? Okay, but it goes to how do we gather in these spaces to really f- muster up the courage, the bravery, um, the the power, 
that we need to speak sometimes. Uh, see, because sometimes, you know, and this is a tactic. Sometimes we cannot speak verbally to certain entities and people. Sometimes we have to muster up a certain kind of, of, of energy that speaks not from here, but speaks from here to a certain part. Do we understand what I'm saying when I'm saying this? I know this is kind of like out of this world, but you're already out of this world, so it's okay. What I'm saying is that there are moments, and, 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 and see, again, these are things that seem so far-fetched, like because the thing comes up, but what are we supposed to do right now? But this is something that we can do right now. Something that we can do right now. Redefine these terms. Redefine what love is. And that's when it goes to. What, do we, what is love? What are we saying? Resilient love. And see, we're taking for granted that, you are, are, that we're all on the same page here. We're taking for granted that we all are moving from this same kind of definition of love. What do you about well, to you look? I mean, I think one of the things to bear in mind. What's, what's your name? Oli. 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 Oh, Okay. Um, I mean, part of the work of the the pre work of redefining love of your from the oppressor is to refuse the definition in the first place. Right to, to say enough is to actually refuse the inheritance of a hateful love. So again, much of what we're talking about, resilient love in a time of hate, resilient love in, a, in an era of evil, is to reclaim love. Not to leave it to the oppressors. Not to leave it to those dehumanizers. But to reclaim it. So the redefinition is to inhabit it in different ways. Right. So, for example, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I was with um, the great civil rights activist Ruby Sales a couple of weeks ago in Atlanta. So, you know Ruby Sales, and, you know, a member of Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee with Stokely Carmichael and others. And Ruby really presses hard on this question. He says, say we achieve something like racial justice. What compassion do we have for white folks who have to give up power? What compassion, what love do we have for those folks who had been dominant? Now, I'm not saying that's the first move. That might be the fourth or fifth move. But it is a necessary move. Love, let me quote, I didn't think I would do this, but love, quoting someone like Reinhold Niebuhr in his great meditation on democracy, children of light, children of darkness, where he says, love is the final structure of freedom. Meaning, when we finally get to freedom, we might see something like love. We are always in process. We are always in the process of redefining. We're always in the process of reevaluating what we understand love to be. Because we're always reevaluating what is our experience of evil, of hate, who are we in the face of this? Yeah. Who are we in the face of this recuperation, this recovery, this redemption? Where redemption is something like finding value again, worth again in ourselves. So I don't want to leave you in that pit where you're saying, that I can't find any love for my oppressor because they've beaten it out of me. I need, I want for you to find some space of love. Again, it may not be ready. And it may be the fifth or fourth, you know, fourth or fifth move. But it's a necessary one. It's a necessary one. 
You need it. We need it. Because the final structure of freedom is not going to be the, the oppressor's definition of love. The final structure of freedom is real freedom with justice. That's what we're after. This, this is a really important challenge uh, raised here, and I think it's, we ought to be clear to stipulate that people fight with the tools they have in the arenas that are open to them, and it is their business and their business alone when and how they struggle. Mm-hmm. And so we are not telling anybody mm-hmm. that you That's should do this, you shouldn't do that. Right. Uh, people have a right to hate. They've been hated. They've been brutalized. It would be unrealistic to think that, 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 that we love all the time and that, that we don't hate. In fact, the point is that we do. But understanding when we say we, we want to love somebody, we're not saying you ought to like them. We're not saying they're redeemable. Which is yeah, yeah, right. Which is right. right. Yeah, yeah you, you can dislike them. You can assume that they're not going to change. You have a right to defend yourself against their hatefulness. We, we, we are not undermining any of that. But we are challenging the fixity of that hate situation, in which in order to hate back, in some ways you have to accept the subordination that produced that hate in the first place. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not going to you know, sit... Uh, thousands of miles away and say, you know, I, I think you ought to respond differently to being occupied, to having the gross violations of human rights, to having your history obliterated. Uh, here's my opinion. You know, th- th- this is not what we're trying to do. But in the course of struggle, history shows us that different things always emerge, yeah. that even the most brutalized, degraded populations turn out to recognize that it is a trap to remain only within that history, to deal with that history, to reckon with it, to change it, absolutely. But to be permanently trapped in it means that their fear of the dark becomes your identity. Mm. You become an extension Mm. of their craziness. To use this particular example, on August 10th, 2014, very few people on West Florissant Avenue knew anything about Palestine. The police came with tear gas. The police came with these things that damage your hearing. The police came with these rubber bullets. And they started getting tweets from people in occupied Gaza. They say, we know how to deal with tear gas. We know how to deal with rubber bullets. Here's what you ought to do. Now, they're tweeting this to people in a country that is the main financial support of their oppression. They, have, they could have said, you're getting kicked now. Where were you when we were getting kicked? But they didn't. They said, here's how you deal with tear gas. Here's how you deal with those trucks. Here's how you deal with the armored personnel characters that come in. And this produced a conversation in Ferguson, a conversation in which eventually a delegation went to Palestine and said, you know, we thought we had it bad on West Florissant. But this is, this is a check system, you know, stronger than what we saw. And when they come back and say this, nobody likes it. Nobody likes it because the political discourse of dominant society doesn't allow that conversation to go on. But they believe what they've seen with their own eyes. They know when they were in trouble who came to help them. And so they are far advanced on that issue in a way 
because in a moment of crisis, the people of the world found a way to find each other, even in their degradation, in their humiliation, in their suffering, in their subordination. This doesn't mean it's all going to end sweet. We're not here because we think if, if we just disarm ourselves and act cool, everything's going to be all right. We, it's quite the opposite. We're saying it is so bad that unless we find the right way to do things that, as Curtis Mayfield used to say, if there's a hell below, we're all going to go. And so we're facing a kind of uh, a moment of truth. Uh, and and I, I think we're making this statement on the basis of our part of the truth. Mm. And in order to do that, we have to understand that that might be absolutely useless or insulting yeah. to people who are suffering, to people who... We don't even know it sometimes, but our, our foot is on their necks. And so when we want to come to them with respect and friendliness and humility, there's already a power imbalance there. We're not gainsaying and belittling the, the difficulties of this. But it's precisely in those insolvable problems that we get to see for the first time how power actually works, how we've actually been divided. And so we do have a faith that in working it through from that stance, that if there were to be a solution, this is where it'll come. We're not saying this is the solution, but saying if there is, it's in this, this, kind, this kind of struggle. Maybe we have time, I think, for maybe just one more. Okay, we have somebody at the mic. Two people. Okay. Claudine, it's okay. We have, we have two people. Why don't you go first? Oh, okay. Sure. Hi. Um, thank you all for your time and for everything you're sharing. It's been really heart-opening and bucket-filling for me to reflect on this with you. Um, I have a mentor um, who sh- says to me when I'm struggling to be a good ancestor, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. that's something that I sit with a lot, and I'm curious, um, since I've kind of been wrestling with that, um, what your thoughts are on that and how to do that. We, we happen to have the world's leading expert on that question right here. <laughs> no, but, no way. <laughs> but, um, absolutely. You know, when we do things, one of the uh, things that come up, they say, you know, we're, we're, living, we're living this life so that we can die good deaths. Um, because we always want someone to pour water for us when we are gone. Mm. You know, we want someone to call our name. It's like, you know, they say that... You, you're not truly dead until your name is not called anymore. Mm. So it goes to that. What what are the stories uh, that will be, you know, told of 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 you when you are gone? You know, who's going to call your name? Who's going to pour water for you? Things like this. But it also goes to see again. This is this aspect of this now, mm. past, present, future. This thing of this, uh, you know, these ancestors. How do we honor our ancestors? Past, present, future. Past, of course, the ones who transition, right? Future, the ones who are yet to be born. Present, though, you, 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 me, me. You know, how we, how we move in this space. So this is a very, it's an important piece, specifically when we're doing this kind of work. Because, you know, in this work, there are times where we have to call on these names, and we have to call on, you know, the strength of these, these who, who came before us, who, you know, even if they, 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 they weren't, quote unquote, and I'm saying weren't successful in um, this kind of fight. Um, but again, that's measured even by somebody's, somebody else's view of success. Right. 
what, you know, what that means. But it goes to, we're calling on these particular names to help us. It's a certain uh, a characteristic. It's a certain thing that they have that we need for this particular fight. Right? So this is an important piece, uh, and, and, and especially when we're doing this work so that we're practicing uh, care, mm. what it means to care for ourselves, what it means to care for one another. And that's a very important piece because in honoring our ancestors, we have to care for ourselves and care for one another. If we're not doing that, then certainly we're not honoring them. Just a brief word mm. about, I mean, one of the things about ancestors is also to understand the traditions in which we are responsible. What are the traditions that we are stewards such that we name our ancestors and know our ancestors? Our ancestors are not merely those we are related to through blood and kin and kith. But these are traditions that have laid claim on us. Yeah. The traditions that have laid claim on us. I mean, you know, I think about this a lot. You know, I'm an Asian American, a Korean American, and the moral tradition that has laid such a heavy hand mm-hmm. on my shoulder is the black freedom tradition. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, what is that about? What is that about? And, I, and, I, and at times, you know, I feel almost like, you know, Joan, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know what kind of trouble I'm going to get if I, if I claim that tradition? But, you know, my teacher is Cornell West. You know, I've had... Folks like Reverend Barber give me a big embrace and say, you are part of this movement. Or Jim Forbes. Mm. Or Ruby Sales. Ruby Sales will not stop dogging me. (laughs) Ruby said to me, David, why are you not more out in public? And I said, Ruby, what do you mean? She says, because we need someone like you. This is Ruby Sales. And what am I to say? No, Ruby. No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a Confucian. Like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, she's my, you know, yes. Right? To honor one's ancestors is to know who they are. Yeah. And to know what they cared about. To know what they loved. And what they hoped for. To be an ancestor to somebody is what you are going to say to that next generation. When you are your generation's Ruby Sales. And you say to somebody who may not look like you. Yeah. It's you. We need you. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for all your insights and all the love that you've shared with us. And um, the kind of vision that you've shared with us and the kind of work that you do is what I aspire to do, what I try to do in my life, this empathy for um, the, the, the people that we are called to serve and represent. Um, I'm from Haiti. And if we look at just the hurricane that just happened, and national, natural disasters happen, uh, but poverty is what kills. And this empathy um, is a big platform for me in terms of where I'm coming from with my work uh, that I do on Haiti. I've even called myself in some writing a chosen mourner because I really think that you have to go deep to that level in order to feel the pain and take in what's there in terms of the resilience and bringing out that love. And that's basically me, I would say, 90% of the time. But there are other times, and I actually decided to come to the microphone because of the gentleman's comment. There are other times where I get tired 
And I've been on this campus over 30 years, and I have worked very closely with first-generation students. And I cannot share with you how many times I've cried over the stories that some of the students share with us. And, you know, those conditions that should not be conditions that are handed to human beings anywhere in the world. So, um, basically, you've quoted it extensively from James Baldwin, and that's where I want to go with you. And James said, you know, James, you were born where you were born because, and placed where you were placed because it was indeed intended that you would perish. And he also concluded the letter by saying, they cannot be free. We cannot be free until they are free. How do we start freeing them, is my question. Anybody want to take it? You know, I I think about that. I think about, um, we know the pedagogy of the oppressed. We know this book, yes? Mm -hmm. And we know how in the book, and I I grappled with this for a long time, (laughs) when when he said this, you know, it is, it is the duty of the oppressed to free the oppressor. Gotcha. And, you know, certainly it was like, absolutely not. I'm not. I don't care. I'm not. You know? <laughs> it took some time, you know. But, it, but it, 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 what took time more was just to understand what freedom meant, gotcha. um, really what it means. And I, I understood it as, as, as the uh, old gospel song says I, I understood it better by and by mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, it was something that was a hard piece because it is tiring That's right. um, and it's hard work when um, you know a heart is, is placed in your mm-hmm. hands we just had a student uh, earlier who um, was in the same space uh, and shed these tears and shed these tears and shed these tears. Uh, but a lot of what she was dealing with was this guilt, mm. which was my parents were refugees, and here I am, unable to get it together in mm-hmm. school. Mm. They had to cross these landmines, and here I am, unable to mm-hmm. get it together. So it's this guilt that she was feeling, like, oh, my God. So the guilt was, you know, was torturing her more than uh, what was actually, you know, going on. So at this point, she was like, I'm ready to give. I, I have to give up. And this is what guilt does. Mm. Because now we're comparing we begin, to, uh, we begin to compare the suffering. We begin to compare one suffering against another. Nothing ever works when we're comparing mm. anything. <laughs> it never works, right? So because it, it'll always come to. Uh, we, we saw it even with uh, Hurricane Katrina when it was, um, you know, many people. We had uh, relatives and everybody to uh, just die in the flood, and then uh, I had, you know, people who were like, "Oh my God, it should have been me." I, I feel so bad that I wasn't there. Mm. And then you, you know, at the same time, it's like, bah. I'm kind of glad that I'm living on now. I, 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 I think I, it feels good to be. It feels good mm-hmm. to be alive. And this, but somebody got to tell a story, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, so but but it goes to that. This is why we have to have. Um, you, you were mentioning this, and, and you were 
you know, expound on it more. Not just, uh, you know, this thing of safe spaces, mm-hmm. but the sanctuaries, you know, that you spoke of. And then we all, we, we, we spoke about this earlier, too, where we ask, again, uh, am I a temple for you? Mm. Am I a church for you? Do you find it, uh, do you find it uh, okay, I can use that word, do you find it okay to come and pray here? Mm. Do you find it okay to find refuge here? That's right. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's work when we hear all of these stories and why it's important that we have to continuously build ourselves and care for ourselves and honor because it goes to, uh, you know, like they say in, when we're bringing it back to our ancestors, we pour libation for our ancestors. So really it goes, they say anytime we're shedding uh, tears, we're libating. And that's a powerful piece because there are times where we are moving through, we're moving through this life where nobody is always pouring water for us, but our tears. So we have to, we're doing it for ourselves. Right. So, you know, with, with, with this, it's, it's, it's so, it's beyond important. I don't even know another word to, to lift up and to have people around that will, again, continuously keep us to the vision. Because we can't always do it. We can't always do it ourselves. But we'll have people that's there. So we have to intentionally build these kind of villages, build these kind of communities, intentionally. Uh, because we need the communities. And we need, like, like, it goes, okay, so when we leave this space, that's like we were saying, the then waters. When we leave this space, then what? Right? So we consider, I, I, I lead uh, retreats, like women retreats. And a lot of times they're held like in the mountains and everything, right? And, uh, you know, retreats are beautiful in the mountains. But unfortunately, we don't live in the mountain. <laughs> unfortunately, we live in the valley. <laughs> so the thing is now, how do we take this mountaintop experience to the valley outside this door? It's okay while we're here. We've cultivated this kind of space here, Right? A space where questions, it's, 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 it's good to ask questions. No question is too frank. Nothing is, you, you know, but when we go outside these doors, there's another world. It's a jungle out there. So now how do we take this experience there? How do we foster up the bravery that has to come? What do we have to tell ourselves? This is why I'm saying this voice, this thing, this, 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 this inner landscape. We have to have what is the language that is inside, this inner language, right, that we will use when we go out that door in the face of everything that comes, in the face of everything that we're hit with. We're hit with everything. Oh, my God, it's this person, this person, this name, this name, this. Everything that hits us. What is it that we're telling ourselves to move forward in the face of it all? And that's a very important, it's, 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 it's a necessary, it's a necessary piece because if we're not hearing this voice, if this language is not um, a language that builds us, then what is the language? What do we hear inside? And then on top of that, whose voice is it that we're hearing? So now it comes, okay, how do we drown out the voices? I asked the class earlier, who here, and I can ask you, who here talks to themselves? Right. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> I feel like if you don't talk to yourself, see, these are the crazy people. <laughs> the people, I'm like, you don't talk to yourself? Oh, my God, I got to get away from you. Something is, you know, something is bound to happen. This is, you're, you're, you're out of it. Something is wrong with you. 
So this is what I'm saying. All of all of us who who do talk to ourselves, what are we really saying? So this is what has to change. What is the language that I'm telling myself? And then am I even interacting with other people in here who talk to themselves? So that even if I can't pull up my voice, I can pull up your voice. I can pull up your voice. I can pull up your voice because I've heard you say to me, you can do it. I've heard you say to me, you're worthy. I've heard you say to me, justice is here. I've heard you say to me, freedom is here. Remember, remember, we're sticking to the, we're sticking to the plan of freedom. We're sticking to the plan. We're sticking to it. Stick to it. Stick to it. You can do it. You can do it, right? This is what it is. It's not just uh, affirming. I said this last night. It's not just affirming for us, but it's confirming for us that we're on the right path. Right? So we go with the feeling. We're connecting with heart. And I know this is ugly, nasty work. <laughs> because the heart is not, like we said this earlier, the heart is not this, oh, it's nice, you know, we can pull it up on the, you know, the, what do they call it, the emoji and everything else. No. It's ugly. It's nasty. It's bloody. It's chambers. It's stuff sticking out. It's, you know, it's all of this fatty. It's all of this kind of stuff. This is what it is. But it's real work, and it can be done. We just have to commit to the work. It's not committing to an oppressor's view. It's not committing to the enemy-centered thought. It's committing to the work of our own heart and allowing ourselves the time to listen to what it says, allowing ourselves the time to create a new myth, to create a new narrative, to create a new story in order for the inner landscape to be cultivated in the most beautiful kind of way. So just you know, just a very brief word because you know Sunny's words are so powerful and beautiful. I just want to say a brief word in praise of imperfection and praise of forgiveness of ourselves in our imperfections. When we talk about sanctuary rather than safe spaces, we're talking about refuge. And when a refuge is not perfection. A refuge is solace and comfort and care in the face of suffering. But we do this imperfectly. We don't do it perfectly. We offer sanctuary to each other, not as a deluxe resort in the mountains. But what is it that we can cobble together? Mm. Where the moment of sanctuary is those tears shed with you. The sanctuary is any given moment of solace that we can offer to each other. Let us be sanctuaries to each other. Let us love each other. Let us thank those who brought us here together. George Lipsitz, Sonny Patterson, Margaret Lewin, Zavini. Thank you. Thank you and good night. (laughs) Thank you and good night. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.